Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too, and this is Stuff You Should Know, yet another edition of our never-ending, please don't ever let it end, um, Earth Science Suite. That's right. Uh, Can I tell you a quick story? Have at it. (laughs) <laughs> you hedged. I know. I actually considered what I should say. Yes. The astute Chuck, listener would have heard you go, uh, before you said yes. <laughs> Hopefully Jerry can edit that part out. <laughs> uh, so I think I may have talked about this before, but I, I had aims at one point, and not like the most passionate aims, but I thought about being a meteorologist oh, yeah. for a little while in college uh-huh. uh, because I was headed toward a journalism major and – I think I'd mentioned before my best friend uh, from high school, the the map illustrator today, mm-hmm. Rad. Yeah. We, we used to sit around and watch the Weather Channel, largely due to Rad's influence. And mm-hmm. I just always thought it was cool. I took a meteorology class in college, and it kicked the poo-poo out of my body. Yeah. I had a similar and, experience with astronomy. <laughs> yeah, so I knew, what, like you wanted to be an astronomer, and then you're like, no, no this just, is too hard. I thought it was going to be like, look at this star. This is pretty right. awesome. And then, like, the first day, like, the, the sigma, like, sign shows up. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. So I think I, I think I get where you're coming from. Yeah, so that kind of dashed my dreams of being a meteorologist because, you know, I mean, we, I think people can teach themselves things, and, like, part of the hard part of our job is to, teach ourselves something really like that people go to school for four years to study. And I think you can sort of teach yourself stuff, but unless there's a, you have just a fundamental weird innate understanding of that stuff, it's just really challenging. Like if you're not a math person, you can learn math, but not like someone who just really gets numbers. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Does that make sense? Totally. And I'm not sure we've ever really, by we, I mean humanity, have put our finger on what that distinction is. Isn't that weird? It'd be interesting to know what some of the hypotheses are. Maybe we should do a, a podcast on it. Yeah, that'd be good. So anyway, that's a long-winded way long-winded way <laughs> <laughs> of sort of saying, you know, I did this over and over and studied wind uh, the past couple of days, and I, I kind of get it enough for this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but I'm not going to be a meteorologist for a very good reason. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I've got it just enough that it feels like there's a massive opening on the side of my head and everything I know about wind could just fall right out at any moment. But it's just, in there for now. Yeah. Keep it shut for the next 45 minutes. I'm trying. I've got my hand covered. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's really gooey in there. Yeah. It's more complex than you would think, but some parts are easier as well. Yeah. And I mean, like, even if you're talking about wind, um, you can kind of break down what <clears throat> what wind is and what causes wind and what creates wind. Um, into basically three different things. The first one is heat, which we'll get into. Another one is pressure differences. We'll get into that as well. (laughs) And then the rotation of the planet, which we will get into in this episode. Yeah, that's where it gets a little tricky. Yes. 
Agreed. Totally agreed. Um, and I say we just dive in and we start with pressure differences creating wind because I think it's the simplest thing to understand. And I think once you have pressure differences down, you can move on to the heat part. Yeah. I mean, this was this the Grabster? Did he help us with this one? Yes. And I have to say the Grabster did an amazing job he wrangling really this info. Yeah. No, hats off to him because, you know, Ed. I think Ed always has a knack of uh, – delivering a, a metaphorical type example mm-hmm. that really hits home. And with pressure, he uses uh, just a balloon filled with air where you have uh, high pressure and low pressure. And when you take your fingers off the tip of that balloon, mm-hmm. all that changes because what wind is really always trying to do on planet Earth is equalize and reach some sort of equilibrium. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what's happening with wind is you have high pressure, which is you know, technically more air, mm-hmm. and that's going to go flow away from itself because it wants to equalize. And then it's going to, where there's less air, the surrounding area is going to flow toward the lower area. So as it relates to wind, there's basically more wind and the winds are faster when those two disparities are the greatest. Yeah, if you get a parcel of air, um, which is just a kind of a stable mass of air as far as um, meteorologists are concerned, that's really high pressure, and you get one that's really low pressure. They're, they're, along the edges of those two places, there's going to be much higher wind than if they're mu- a lot closer between high and low, if they're closer to the same. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's wind right there. Um, it just changes in differences in pressure, different parcels of air coming up against one another and saying, I'm going to fill you up. And then the other one says, fill me up. And that's the, the filling up is the wind, the movement of the air. Yeah, so pretty easy. I think so. Yeah, it's just where does those where do those um, differences of pressure come from? Are you are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> well, they come from the well. Heat is a big source of right. where all this comes from. Which and you kind of well, I thought you hinted, but then we did a different take and you rescinded that hint. <laughs> but the sun when it heats the earth. It heats the the surfaces of the earth. It doesn't really heat the air so much as it heats the surfaces, whether it's water or land or like asphalt or sand or green grass. And they all have different temperatures. Mm -hmm. And that disparity is kind of the key to it all because that's going to reflect back up. And that's kind of what heats the air is the reflection of that sun onto these various temperatured surfaces. Or not temperatured, but I guess ability to soak up that sun maybe right yeah because it's not it's not at all uniform like you said all these different kinds of materials found on the surface of earth like absorb heat differently and radiate heat differently so that means that the air above it that's getting heated by that land is going to be different than a different parcel of air like over water right yeah and so because um heat has to do with pressure and typically is associated with low pressure, Um, heat warms air, makes it expand, which makes it less dense, which means it starts to float up away from the Earth's surface. And as it's floating up away from the Earth's surface, because of that um, that equilibrium that air seeks, uh, areas of higher pressure like move in to fill that vacuum, that space that's being left by that uh, lower pressure parcel of air that's floating up into space because it's warm. Right. And this is that circular, it's called convection. Like you've ever bought a or seen a, a, a bad infographic on a convection oven. Mm-hmm. It's, it's bound to have like red pulsating circular arrows. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of going up and then back down again in a circle. And that's what it is. That's all it is, is convection. It's the same thing. Remember that Visions cookware in the 80s that you could see through? Yeah. <laughs> so if you ever watched a pot of water boil in one of those things, that's convection as well. Like those bubbles going up, the hottest <clears throat> ones start to float, and they're replaced by cooler stuff that in in its place starts to get heated up and starts to float. And so what you've got is basically like a circular conveyor belt, like a Ferris wheel almost. Yeah, where the air that's, that's heated at the, I think so too. <laughs> Especially if we're talking about one of those Ferris wheels where the little cabins spin all the way around on their own axis. Oh, Terrifying. Boy. Yeah. yeah. 
So you've got a Ferris wheel, and on, as the Ferris wheel goes up, warm air that becomes less dense, and it rides to the top. And when it hits the top, it's colder up there than it is at the surface, so it starts to cool down, so it comes back down the other side. And as it's coming down because it's cooler, other air that replaced it before is going up because it's gotten warmer in its place. And it's just this constant moving Ferris wheel. Like you said, convection. That's convection. Rising and falling parcels of air in this case. But it can also be, you know, bubbles of air and water for boiling or pockets of air in your convection oven or something. Right. So now, everybody, (laughs) we've talked a little bit about the Coriolis force or the Coriolis effect before. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was in. I don't remember either because we... We definitely have talked about multiple times about your sink or toilet drain. Right. So here's what I I understand. The part where I get a little fuzzy is how, as it relates to wind, and I know that you've got that down. So I think we should make a pretty good dance partners here. Awesome. Into one, <laughs> into two. Uh, but I do understand like the Coriolis force only affects objects that are moving around something that's rotating. And in mm-hmm. this case, we're talking about the earth, but... Like, it's, it's very easy for me to understand that if a plane takes off in Miami and tries to fly to Seattle, it's not like by the time it gets to Seattle, the Earth is going to be in a different position. So Seattle is because it rotates. So Seattle's going to be in a different place. So when you look at the little flight map, it's not good. You can't fly in a straight line from Miami to Seattle. Mm-hmm. You have to fly on a curve to meet up with where Seattle's eventually going to be. Yeah. So that all makes sense to me. As it relates to wind, it, it kind of, even after reading this like eight times, got a little, it's still a little hazy. So the way that I saw it described that makes the most sense to me is that um, the Earth being like a sphere, or kind of like a sphere shape, um, okay. but every part of the planet rotating, make a, making a full rotation in 24 hours, means that some parts of the planet have a lot further distance to travel than other parts of the planet. So the equator, the equator. Yeah. yeah, the equator has to travel about 40,000 kilometers in 24 hours. But as you go closer to the poles, there's a lot further distance. I think at like um, like 89 degrees north latitude, right, right below the uh, North Pole, it has to travel 69 miles in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So no part of the Earth can arrive before another part of the Earth within 24 hours. It just doesn't work like that. So some parts of the Earth travel more slowly than others. You still, you, you got it so far? Oh, yeah, that part's easy. Okay. Now, what I saw was that if you fire, say, like a cannon from the equator toward the North Pole, when you're firing— Why would you the, go to war with the North Pole? I just—it's like one of those cannons that the, the cannonball is filled with candy— so you're okay. not it's not hostile at all. It's a yeah, very fun cannon. cannon. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we just invented a new great thing. <laughs> um so when you shoot that cannonball north toward the north pole, you're shooting it at the speeds that the cannon was already traveling, which is something like a thousand miles an hour on the equator. And oh, as it gets okay. further and further north, uh-huh. it's reaching a part of the earth that isn't moving as fast as the equator. So that means that the cannonball actually appears to curve to the right because it yeah, gets yeah. ahead of the Earth as it's traveling. So that cannonball is going to land um, east of your target of the North Pole. Got it? Yeah, but see, what's confusing me now is the thing that you sent me that said to explain it best was uh, from a surfing website, mm-hmm. and it had to do with Spanish roundabouts. Okay, that's another way to put it, too. <laughs> You want to, okay. So, th- so I we like have the a cannonball thing, though. Well, we haven't quite reached that. We haven't quite reached that. I have one more part of the cannonball to say. Okay. If, if you're at the poles and you're you shoot a cannon toward um, uh, the equator, mm-hmm. you're shooting it from a slower place to a faster place. So the cannon right. is going to curve behind your target to the west of the right. target. But to you, the person firing the cannon, it's still curved to the right. So no yeah. matter where you're firing a cannon from, whether the equator or the poles, it's going to curve the same way in the northern or the southern hemisphere, to the right and the north, to the left and the southern hemisphere. Now, we we hit the roundabout part. Okay. Are you do you want to take that one? <laughs> well, I mean, sure, it's it's sort of common sense if you drive on the right-hand side of the road and you enter a roundabout, you're going to be going counterclockwise. 
around it. And if you drive on the left hand side of the road, it will be the opposite. Is it, is it really that simple? Yes. It depends on which way the air is moving. So if you're talking about a, a roundabout, do you remember our um, episode? We just did the short stuff on um, the direction humans tend to travel. Yeah. Yeah. Go the right. Usually right. if you're certain countries. And we talked about how if you're entering a circle and you go to the right, you you end up going counterclockwise. But if you're in the circle and you go to the right, you end up going clockwise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember the that. same thing happens. So if you have a high-pressure system, air is flowing away from it. So that air is coming out of the circle. But any direction that that air is going, say in the northern hemisphere, it's going to veer to the right. But since it's coming outside of the circle... That means that all of that air eventually is getting spun into a clockwise direction. Yeah. If it's going into that parcel of air, that circle of air, because it's low pressure, everything's coming into it at a right-hand angle, which means that the spin of the air is counterclockwise. I love it. I think it's really interesting. I was watching, as always, a lot of kids' science videos Mm -hmm. to learn this stuff, and one of them had a uh, sort of a map of the hurricanes of the world and as far as like the directionality using just little lines and arrows. And it's just fascinating to look at the band of the equator. I don't know how wide of an area that is that deflects it, but there are no hurricanes at the equator or within that certain band of width around the equator. And it's, it's just cool to look at, you know, above and below the equator, mm-hmm. how these hurricanes approach it and then Almost are like, no, 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 thank you, and go, and just take a turn. Yeah, they get deflected by the air, the convection currents there, right? Yeah, it's really fascinating. I think it's fascinating, too. I say we take a break and come back and talk more about wind, of all things. Let's do it. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website. Whether it's an online course or custom merch, Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. 
That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, friends, if you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. Like, what are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood the best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Yeah, well, now it is, everybody, on Homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, Chuck, so you're talking about how that that um, the movement, the convection of air combined with the Coriolis effect mm-hmm. creates cyclones and hurricanes, depending on what hemisphere you're in in the world, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, it also, like that, a cyclone or a hurricane is a really tight weather system. Uh, they're rarely that tight. They're usually much more spread out and much looser, but generally the same thing. And because of those two things, the convection currents and the Coriolis effect, that means that air spreads around the world. It travels around the world. If we didn't have a rotating planet, we would just have a convection current that went from the equator to the poles, the equator mm-hmm. to the poles, and that's it. But because of that Coriolis effect, it spreads around the world, right? And that's right. In uh, As it kind of spreads around the world, it's also kind of staying within a certain number of latitude and forms these large giant cells so that each band of latitude around the world generally has its own weather. Yeah, I mean, this part is really cool, and it, it makes perfect sense. You know, the equator is where it's going to be warmest on planet Earth. And as the air is, you know, reflected back up with the Coriolis effect and it goes further north, it's going to start cooling down. Mm -hmm. And they've basically figured out at about 30 degrees latitude, it will have cooled down enough at that point to finally descend again. But when it's descending again, it's always seeking that equilibrium. So it's going to be pulled back toward the equator again by the low pressure caused by it heating and rising to begin with. So again, it's that convection cycle, but they figured out that it's about 30 degrees where that temperature change finally is enough for that to happen again. Yeah, and so because of that Coriolis effect, you have high atmosphere winds traveling from west to east, and then when they descend, they come back down from uh, east to west, and those form the trade winds in this um, giant cell that's called a Hadley cell, which is between the equator and, like you said, about 30 degrees north latitude. That's right, one and there's cell. two of those. Yes, there's one in the north and there's one in the south. And then around, right. around the poles, there are two other cells appropriately called polar cells. And because it's so cold, the equator has its cells because it's so hot. The poles have their cells because they're so cold that any difference in temperature is like a radical difference in temperature. So they have their own convection currents that operate at the poles as well. That's right. Uh, and like you said, that's the polar cell that hits at about 60 degrees. And it's just two, two basically uh, temperatures of convection happening on both sides of the Earth. And then in between, you've got what's called the feral cell, F-E-R-R-E-L. Mm-hmm. And this is between 30 and 60 degrees, obviously, roughly. And right here, it's, you know, the heat differential isn't that much. It's not the, you know, super, super cold or super, super hot. So you're not going to get as much, like, radical convection going on. And most of the movement there is caused by the Hadley cell below it and the polar cell above it, sort of knocking it about in between. Yeah, which is really cool because that means that the uh, friction from the Hadley cell below it and the um, polar cell above it are actually spinning the air 
in the uh, feral cell, and because the polar cell and the ha- and yeah, and the Hadley cell are both spinning counterclockwise, they're like gears turning a cog, and that cog mm-hmm. is the feral cell. And because they're both spinning counterclockwise, they spin the feral cell clockwise. That's right. That's just so not so amazing to me that this is happening at all times on planet Earth. Yeah, invisibly. And be, yes, and because of the tilt uh, of the Earth on its axis as it rotates, which gives us the seasons, the different different strengths and um, amounts of this kind of uh, movement of air and where they are within that band of latitude that they exist in changes over the course of a year, which gives us different kinds of weather on different parts of the earth over different times of the year. That's right. And all of this stuff going on, all of these, uh, the Hadley cells, the polar cells, and the feral cells, all interacting with the Coriolis force that we talked about Mm -hmm. and that you wonderfully explained with candy cannons. And all these different pressure gradients that we explained at the beginning, all of this stuff together causes the jet streams. Uh, If you've ever flown, there's a... Uh, in an airplane, you know, and they say we can we can make up some time if we fly a little higher or, you know, if we're going, you know, east to west or west to east, things are going to, like your speed's going to be different mm-hmm. because of these jet streams. They're super powerful and very focused wind bands, a few hundred miles wide that just wrap around the planet. And the polar jet stream, that's, that's the money one. That's where you're really going to be able to, like, utilize an airplane's efficiency at, at its maximum. The uh, subtropical jet stream isn't as powerful, so it doesn't get as much press. But the polar jet stream can go like 200 miles an hour. Yeah. And that's when, you know, when you fly up in that thing, that's when you're – it's like walking uh, on a moving sidewalk in an airport. Yeah, but one that goes 200 miles an hour, so hang on to your hats. Right. So you're still walking, but you're getting that extra boost. Exactly. Um, And the reason the jet stream is so powerful up north, the the polar jet stream, is because the difference in temperature between the polar cell and the feral cell is much different. It's much greater than the difference in temperature between the Hadley cell just above the equator and the feral cell between the polar and the, the Hadley cells, right? Right. And because of that temperature gradient, there's density differences. So air moves really, really fast, and it wants to go uh, from the north, from the poles, toward the uh, feral cell into the mid-latitudes. But it can't. It can't go all the way down because the pull of the Coriolis effect is such that it stretches it out into a stream. And it's a messy stream. It's not like a, a clear, easygoing stream, and it changes from point yeah. to point around the earth and depending on the time of the year and even time of the day, I would imagine. But it, it stretches it out. And sometimes when the, the um, difference in temperature is so extreme, the, the jet stream can actually come down further south. And that's what happens. Remember when we get a polar vortex every once in a while? Mm-hmm. That's the northern polar cell extending like so powerfully into the United States, into the heart of the feral cell where most of us in the U.S. live. Right. I just think that's fascinating. And if you want to see that like in action, there's a really cool video called NASA Satellite Sees Polar Vortex on the Move. And it, it, it's, I guess, satellite imagery um, of... The, the moving polar cell as it creates a polar vortex. It's pretty cool. And it kind of gets across, like I said, just how messy the jet stream can be. No, it's awesome. Uh, this, you know, I think it's pretty cool. Ed points out that it was really World War II where we saw, where we really started to understand the benefits of the jet stream because there were just so many more planes than ever before. People are like, wait a minute, there's this, uh, there's this jet stream up there. And we can really use this to save time and fuel and money and get advantage on our enemies, perhaps, because we're moving faster. And even though in the 1800s, they, you might see volcanic smoke like hundreds and hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles, because it got caught in the jet stream. And like they recognized this, but there weren't planes, so they didn't really understand. Like It didn't really matter, basically. <laughs> right. Because we're here on Earth. Who cares? Yes. So what we've been talking about so far, Chuck, like the jet stream – uh, is a, it's a very high-altitude parcel of air or, or movement of air, stream of air. I guess I'll just go ahead and call it that. But there's other things that also, like, affect um, wind as well, and it, it has to do with the differential between um, the land and the sea and then also the topography of the land as well. 
Yeah, so if you've ever gone to the beach at all, you know that it's cooler near the beach and near the ocean than it is inland. If you ever lived in Los Angeles, I think Matt Groening had a very funny quote years ago. Someone interviewed him. Uh, what did they say? They said something like, if you could give advice to anyone about living in Los Angeles, what would it be? And he said, <laughs> I think he, all he said was, it's cooler near the ocean than it is inland. <laughs> <laughs> something some very kind of funny quip about that huh. but uh it's it's true you know when you when you drive toward the beach in la it just gets the air gets cleaner and cooler and it's like someone flicked on the air conditioner generally and that's because those uh temperature differences that we talked about of water and land like the sun is heating this stuff up it's heating up all that inland asphalt and everything else even the ground and the grass mm -hmm. and it's heating the water uh differently and ergo that Ergo's not right, is it? Therefore? Uh, erstwhile. Erstwhile. Ooh, I never use that. I like that. No, so erstwhile, uh, the, <laughs> reflect, the reflected heat is going to be different over the water than over the land. And the land is obviously going to be warmer, so the air above it is warmer. That air is going to rise and create a low-pressure system, and it's going to pull that cooler air from the water back toward the land. And if you're on the beach or near the beach, you're just getting the benefit of that cooler air being pulled in. Yeah, and if that didn't happen, that Frank Sinatra song, Summer Wind, would not exist. Oh, man. What and a great song. even more importantly, there would not be one of the greatest endings to any Simpson ever, speaking of Matt Greening. The end of the Bart of Darkness one where Bart breaks his leg and ends up doing a spoof of Rear Window. And the, oh, the Simpsons yeah, yeah. get a pool. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Martin Prince gets a pool to compete, and he wants to be popular too, but his pool bursts, and somebody, I think Nelson Muntz, pantses him, and uh -huh. he just stands there singing Summer Wind <laughs> at, at the very end with his pants pulled down around his ankle. I don't remember that. It's, a, it's as good as that episode's just fantastic. That's where uh, Millpool came from. I uh -huh. mean, it's just That's right. top notch. I love that song too. It's so great. Yeah. So we need to talk about mountains too, because uh, you know we talked about ocean and how that kind of the ocean and how that topography can change how wind acts. But mountains, you know, simply get in the way of wind. If if you've ever been hiking, it's much windier on the top of a mountain because there's simply nothing in the way, and that has a lot of weird effects on how the wind travels, right? Yeah, like um, if there's like a gap in between mountains, it actually funnels the wind together, which makes it much higher pressure because it's just there's a lot more air in one smaller space. Um, that can definitely affect wind speeds. And then also when it hits the mountain, like you said, because the mountain got in its way, it goes up and then comes down the other side. And on the other side, there's all sorts of weird turbulence that is really hard to plan for, which is apparently why um, flying in and out of Las Vegas can be a, a difficult takeoff or landing because of that turbulence from, I think, wind coming from the west to the east. Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of movies where like a helicopter crash has happened. Mm. Because in real life range yeah <laughs> yeah <But> yeah, yeah. <laughs> movies based on real things probably exactly um so you want to take a break chuck and then talk about all the things that wind does for us yeah wind does a lot of things All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! <laughs> Hey, 
Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, friends. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. Like, what are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood the best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Yeah, well, now it is, everybody, on Homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about what wind does. What good are you, wind? Um, well, if you like weather, you can thank wind <laughs> because wind basically creates the weather that we feel as humans walking around on planet Earth. It's going to pick up moisture and then drop that moisture again mm-hmm. and give us beautiful cleansing rain. Uh, it's going to affect the temperature because, like we said, it, it's moving uh, air of dimper- different temperatures all over the Earth, and that air is going to change the temperature where you're standing. Yeah, I mean, it's weird to think of, but weather is just wind plus water mixed together in different yeah. I- interesting ways. But that's it. Oh, I thought that was the definition of comedy. <laughs> oh, no, wait, that's tragedy plus time. Yeah, yeah. Man, okay. you just busted my brain, Chuck. <laughs> wind, wind plus water, right, not the same. <laughs> so, um, depending on where you are um, on the Earth, uh, it, there, it can be windier than other places. And in fact, I think for the, for a long time, for a good 70 years, maybe 80, um, the highest wind speed record ever recorded was on top of a mountain in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, it was exactly Mount Washington, part of the presidential mountains, it turns out. Get this. There's like President Jefferson, President Washington, and then President Eisenhower. What, these mountains? Yeah, that's the name of the mountains in this presidential mountain range. I just yeah. think that one sticks out a little bit. It's a big leap. So, um, on this mountain, they recorded a, a, a wind speed of 231 miles an hour in 1934. And that stood all the way until, I think, 2011, when it was finally confirmed that something that had happened years before in Australia um, uh, knocked the Mount Washington record off of the, the top of the peak, I guess, as it were. Yeah, I think this was in 96 is when it actually happened. There was a 253-mile-an-hour gust. Uh, but this was – the interesting thing here is this was during a tropical cyclone. Uh, it was named Olivia at Barrow Island, Australia. And I think, like you mentioned, it was uh, only confirmed in 2010. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is is that Mountain Washington, this was not a hurricane happening, uh, obviously, in uh, Mountain Washington, New Hampshire. This was just a massive uh, – 
pressure gradient and a multiple storm sort of sort of like the perfect storm mm-hmm. uh, crashing into one another. And then obviously, you know, Mount Washington the, that we are, we already talked about the wind being greater at the top of a mountain, but usually like you would expect a, a wind record to be during a hurricane. And that wasn't the case. No, but also I read that the jet stream dips frequently near Mount Washington. Oh, interesting. So it had the advantage of the jet stream adding in there too. Apparently, they bill themselves as the world's worst, the place with the world's worst weather. Like they have hurricane forced winds. Yeah, uh, like 100 days of the year. And they are definitely hanging on to their, their, um, their, their status as much as they can. I think they're in tornadoes, we should point out, don't count. Uh, because you can, you know, there have been 300 plus mile an hour winds during tornadoes and they, they, those are just separate records. Yeah. And then actually like we measure wind speeds from things like cyclones and hurricanes certain ways. So there's a scale called the Saphir Simpson scale, which I'm sure we talked about in our hurricanes episode. Yeah. But that ranges from category one to category five and they base it on wind speed and potential for, for damage. And then for tornadoes, there's a scale that also has to do with damage, like how destructive the tornado was. It's the enhanced Fujita scale, and it goes from zero to five. I think we talked about that in our what's 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 it like inside a tornado episode. Yeah, because one it, one person survived it and told their story. Yeah, <laughs> and everyone's it, been writing that story since then. That's exactly right. Uh, all right, we can go through some of the more things that wind does because it's it's pretty remarkable. It doesn't just give us weather. Uh, if you've ever been to the beach and looked at waves and thought they were kind of cool, you can thank the wind for that. Uh, and we're not talking about, obviously, uh, like under the surface of the ocean where tidal forces are at work. We're talking about winds blowing across the surface of the ocean and literally pushing ocean water and uh, circulating this water in what's called a gyre, uh, which can move, you know, it could be great, can move nutrients and, and stuff like that and help uh, marine mammals with their migration patterns and stuff like, or marine animals with their migration, but it can also move around uh, great garbage patches, as we've talked about in the past. Yeah, we did an episode on that too. Um, Ed uses this example of how water can actually pile up, which is just so fascinating to me. When yeah. wind is strong enough and, um, and persistent enough, it can actually push water so that, like, the either end of a lake, like Lake Erie, can have a difference in in um, surface uh, level of like 15 feet. Like it's just all the water happens to be on the east end at that time because the wind, these seasonal winds pushed it down that way. I, that's just nuts. Like I always think water's level. It's just always well level. Nope. Our friend wind makes it not so. Yeah, and I think Lake Erie is even a standout in that it's at one end. It's called a. It's a phenomenon called a sage, but from what I read, I looked up on sages a little more. I think that's usually water piled up higher at both ends, uh-huh. and it's lower in the middle. It's like less oscillation in the middle. Like most, they kind of likened it to a, a seesaw. Like if you look at the center of a seesaw, it doesn't. You know, it's not moving as much as both ends are. Gotcha. But kind I guess like, in Lake Erie, it just that wind goes one direction, and it's just stacking up there. On yeah. The east side. And um, the planet tilts a little bit when it gets too piled up on one side of Lake Erie. Does it really? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe, but probably not in any way we're equipped to detect at this point. You can really take advantage of how little I understand all this just by saying things like that for the series. All right. Good to know. I wish you would have told me that at the outside of this. Yeah, you could just make fun of me this whole time. Um, another thing wind does is help uh, spread plants far and wide across this earth because a bunch of plants have evolved to disperse their seeds by hitching a ride on the wind, huh? Sure. I mean, some plants, a lot of plants are built to do just that, whether it's uh, the way they're where they're shaped. Uh, like, you know, if you think about a little, uh, little dandelion, mm-hmm. I mean, talk about something that was made to move with the wind. What are those whirly gigs, the helicopters? What what tree is that? Are they maples that do that? I don't know, man. I always call them helicopters. Yeah, but it's like um, it's almost like a more like a clothes hanger, like the old fat wooden ones with a seed uh-huh. in each end to balance it out, and it just spins down. Yeah, like a helicopter rotor. And I mean, like they were all over when I was a kid, but I cannot for the life of me remember what tree they came out of. Yeah, and I don't think I. S- feel like I see them like I used to. 
huh, I wonder if that <laughs> species has gone extinct. No, someone will let us know what it is. I'm sure they're everywhere. But that was certainly made to move on the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed pointed out something I had no idea. It's kind of a cool little factoid, uh, which is when you go out west and see, first of all, when you see your first legit tumbleweed, mm-hmm. it's kind of a nice moment because it just seems like something from the movies. But when you see it, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's that's a real thing that happens. There are tumbleweeds yeah. out west. Um, they're dropping seeds all along the way thanks to wind. Yeah. So they're a seed dispersal unit is what you'd call it. Pretty neat. An SDU. <laughs> uh, it also carries dust for better or for worse. Um, we did an episode on desertification. We also did one on droughts. And in both of those, I think we talked mm-hmm. about the Dust Bowl in the 1930s, where the middle of the United States was turned into a desert because we didn't know what we were doing with soil tilling until they do erosion terrible drought, some really high winds that just basically blew all the soil westward, I believe, and blew basically everyone who lived in Oklahoma westward as well um, to settle out in California. Um, It can also, over time, over long enough time, wear down, you know, those same geological features that get in its way, huh? Sure. I mean, a mountain, uh, uh, the Appalachians are smaller now than they used to be. And that's because wind. Uh, wind has just sort of eroded those over time, and they're still wonderful and great, but they're, it's not like the Rocky Mountains out west. No, but they're about 400 million years older than the Rockies, so give them yeah, a break. Yeah, that's why they're you know? stumpier. But so, as wind taketh away, wind also giveth. Um, and they think, actually, because of dust storms from North Africa, from the Sahara, uh, being kicked up and carried all the way across the Atlantic— um, which actually sometimes, if it's good enough or strong enough, can cut down on hurricane season rather dramatically because it it keeps um, tight systems from forming. But they suspect that possibly this dust, which is nutrient rich, um, which made land makes land in some part in South America, um, may have contributed to the Amazon rainforest being so so lush. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. And Chuck, what's causing that? Wind. That's right. <laughs> uh, but like you said, it can take it away. Uh, wind can carry disease in that dust as well. And they're uh, also from Africa. They think there have been some meningitis outbreaks around the world uh, because of these uh, harmattan winds that have carried it with the dust. And I guess the theory is that uh, dust particles are going to carry a virus more effectively from person to person. I know they've even talked about that with COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that too. Like the reason why masks are effective, because I know at first there was a lot of people going, oh, these particles are so small, they can get right through those masks. But the particles are carried on droplets, and the droplets don't get through. It's the same theory with the the dust. Very nice. Thank you for the COVID update too. It's been a little while. Yeah, it's still out there, everyone, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, (laughs) hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, You got anything else about wind, one of the coolest things on the planet? No. Wind blows. Yeah, it does. Um, If you want to know more about wind, then just start researching. Maybe you'll be a meteorologist. You can pick up where Chuck left off. Uh, And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. (laughs) Pick up where I left off, which is to say, (laughs) after one class, I made a C in. You got to start somewhere. Uh, All right. This is, uh, I'm just going to say this is a, one of the nicest thank yous that we've gotten in a long time, and it just mm. it uh, meant a lot to me. So we're reading it. Okay. Uh, hey, guys. want to write in and thank you for putting the superb content out in the world for people to enjoy. appreciate that your show informs and educates, but even more importantly to me, your opinions give me perspective on my own thoughts and beliefs, and I often find myself participating in introspection to check myself on outdated ideas that haven't been challenged by my friends and peers. Wow. Uh, you bring a modern, thoughtful approach to your outlooks on life, And I can't tell you how helpful it is to have that presented in a friendly and accessible way. Uh, It takes work curating one's media intake nowadays to avoid negativity, divisiveness, and bias. And having a platform like Stuff You Should Know That I Trust to always put the best foot forward, we try to, my friend, uh, is immensely appreciated. The impact you both had on me and countless other people helped shape a healthier, happier, and more inclusive generation. For that, thank you hardly cuts it. I know, right? Man, that was uh, one of the best thank yous ever, huh? <laughs> if you're ever in Austin, the barbecue and the drinks are on me, and that is from our new best friend, Tom Tapp. 
It gets even better. He offered barbecue and drinks for free, Chuck. For free. You don't have to do that, Tom, but no. uh, if we ever come, how about this? If we ever come back to Austin, Tom, you, my friend, and your plus one are on the guest list. Listed, listed, Tom <laughs> just got listed. Just write, write us an email from that same thread, Tom, to remind us and say, hey, buddy, remember me? You promised me free tickets. Yeah, and to prove you are who you say you are, Tom. Well, I mean, if someone wants to go through the trouble of getting a fake ID that says Tom Dab. Yeah. Then I guess that could probably work. I would not encourage that. I think. But if someone writes in and says, "Hey, I'm the guy, but my name is, you know, Bobby Juniper." <laughs> Tam top. <laughs> Tam top. <laughs> I got it mixed up. I don't know where Bobby Juniper came from. That's I don't know. Hotel check-in name. That's a great one. Uh, it suggests that you smell really nice. You know. Sure. And all you need to do is make that suggestion, and people will take it and run with it. And as far as they're concerned, you do smell nice. Uh, if you want to be like Tom and send us one of the greatest, nicest thank yous ever, we would sure appreciate that. But that's not the only reason you have to have to write in. You can write in for any reason. Whatever reason you write in for, you can send it in an email to stuffpodcasts at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.